Hello and welcome to Boncast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale, Theo Chapsalis and Janna Bruzzi. Before getting into our discussion today, I just wanted to quickly remind you all to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And as I said last week, we've also been getting quite a few questions from listeners. So if you wanted to send any in for us to answer on the pod, please email us at bondcast at natwest.com. All right, everyone. So another week of another central bank meeting for us on Bondcast. This kind of rounds out our busy period of, of major central bank meetings that we follow. We're recording this on Thursday, so literally right after the Bank of England meeting. So uh, let's not waste any time and get straight into it. Theo, what would you say, um, I guess, was the kind of key takeaway from today's meeting? Yeah, I think this meeting was uh, particularly important because there were very hawkish expectations heading into that meeting. So what we have seen heading into the meeting was very aggressive paying of the three-year sector. So when you look at those gills in that part of the curve, and when you look at swaps, uh, expectations of early hikes did increase. Uh, we saw also paying of uh, 2022 uh, Sonia meetings. So there was definitely uh, you know, uh, a significant amount of, of, of pricing of expectations into the but I think the important part is that the BOE that did not change their narrative. So we had a BOE that acknowledged stronger CPI, stronger GDP data, stronger labor market. So yes, all this is fine, but all this was in the price. And yet the BOE, they did not necessarily become more hawkish. So in terms of inflation, they did mention that topic and we can dig into that um, if you want a bit later, but to me, the important part is that we had very high hawkish expectations into the meeting that they were not met. We think that hikes are happening in 2023, by the way. The market is eager to price hikes as early as 2022. For us, this divide is a fade. Okay, just, I guess, to dig in a little bit on what you said there on inflation, because that's the kind of great debate right now, isn't it? Is this transitory or are these inflationary pressures here to stay? Did we learn anything more today about what the Bank of England really think about inflation and, and how transitory or not it is in the UK? Yeah, absolutely. So we've definitely learned that the BOE, they can be patient, they can wait. Uh, they acknowledge the higher inflation prints. They are aware that, for example, average weekly earnings will look to be stronger and also CPI and RPI will rise in the coming months. Uh, they understand that it's because of the reopening and also to some degree because of the normalization, but they don't seem to get worried. In fact, the headlines made the case that a preemptive or a too early tightening could actually risk the pace of the recovery. So we have a central bank that acknowledges the upside inflation risks and pretty much nobody here challenges that view that inflation risks do exist and they are to the upside for once. But at the same time, they're willing to be patient. And this is very important for the front end of the curve. So it's supportive for real yields. We talk about a steeper curve and we talk about, you know, it's, it's very, very positive for, um, for, for fixing and enhance. Also, this is why we said that, you know, even though we are bond bears for that very uh, uh, meeting, we do have uh, a dovish bias given expectations. 
I think we spoke about this a bit last week, but about how you like receiving the front end because of these hawkish expectations. I, I presume that, you know, you feel like that view has kind of been validated again today. And, and you mentioned just before about market pricing being too much. So I guess in terms of uh, kind of key trades, this meeting has really validated what, what you had on before in terms of your view, both outright duration at the front end, the longer end and in the shape of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I would say is that if I, if 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 one gave me the, the the minutes, what I would expect is a bull steepening of the curve, and indeed we saw the bullish move at the front end of the curve. So yes, the view uh, was validated, and we actually maintain that view because we think that still there is substantial tightening priced in at the front end of the curve. We disagree with that. We think that this is excessive. Um, to, 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 to put some numbers, we talk about 22 basis points of hikes being in the price by the August meeting. So you price in not only the first 15 basis point of the hike, but you price in also some chance of further tightening being delivered. And based on what we received today from the Bank of England, it is hard making a case for, first of all, for the first 15 basis point of that hike, let alone to price in that hike and some more. So we do maintain that bullish view at the very front end of the curve. Uh, the steepening happened to a lesser extent, though. And this is something that uh, happened against uh, our or my expectations. I would have expected more of a steepening to happen here. It was very interesting because front end did perform and also the 10-year sector did perform because of futures, but the curve did not steepen uh, sufficiently. And in my view, the back end of the curve is still uh, quite expensive. So... In terms of views, the steepening theme is still in play. Just while we're thinking about the back end of the curve, then I guess looking forward for the next few weeks in the UK, now we've got the Bank of England behind us, which was relatively uneventful, I would say. Um, I guess the next big event that UK investors will be looking to is, is the syndication in, in the middle of July. Um, what are your thoughts on that and, and how kind of easily absorbed do, do you think that will be? So the next event uh, will be the 2039 syndication, most likely on the 13th of July. This will be a new bond. We had a linker, a 2039 linker. We're getting in 2039 conventional. Uh, now, this part of the curve has been consistently cheapening. This is very interesting because it is a part of the curve that... Um, that did benefit from QE, and the less QE we get, the more this sector will be cheapening. So it is a part of the curve which is quite attractive for investors to buy. And, uh, apparently, also the DMO want to issue that part of the curve, which is which is probably great. So we've got a willing seller, and we've got a likely willing buyers. What we think happens here is probably we just wait to see how things pan out heading into this indication but probably it could be a very attractive part of the curve to buy because if you think about the UK market, the real juice is usually between the 10 and the 20-year part. The 10-year part is historically a very expensive part of the curve. The 20-year part tends to trade cheap, and now it does trade cheap also relative to its history. The point is that probably this continues heading into this indication, uh, in which case we end up with a great entry level to you know, potentially buy the sector. We need to see, obviously, what happens with valuation, but this is something that we definitely keep an eye on. So this will be a key event. Um, and otherwise, we do have 
back in supply coming in from the week commencing 5th of July, which is again interesting. So the back in supply comes in, investors who wanted to do steepeners, they can just put those steepeners uh, on simply because this week and the previous week, a lot of investors, they were very hesitant, lack of supply, they were very hesitant uh, following what happened in the US actually in the previous days. All right, thank you, Theo. So a lot to talk about really in the UK this week, um, particularly compared to much quieter uh, European and US markets, I would say. Uh, although we have, well, Jan, you've been busy on the US side, I guess, keeping up with all the Fed speakers this week. I think you told me at the beginning of the week that there were 16 Fed speakers this week, which sounds like a lot to me. So I know we still have more to come uh, this afternoon. We're recording this on Thursday, like I said earlier. So we haven't heard from all of them, but have we learned anything new this week? Obviously, this has been a flurry kind of following the blackout period and then the meeting last week. So have we really learned anything new from any of the Fed speakers this week that, that we didn't already know? Yeah, certainly, certainly a lot of uh, Fed speakers scheduled for this week, and kind of understandably after this uh, relatively marginally hawkish Fed that we that we got last week. But I wouldn't necessarily say that we learned something new, but more so, it kind of confirmed the messages that we uh, that we got from last week's uh, meeting, namely that the Fed does see more uncertainty around the inflation outlook. Of course, uh, with the with the risks tilting to the upside. Just kind of looking at uh, you know examples of say like uh, Atlanta Fed President Bostic was on the, uh, gave a speech and after in the Q and A session he mentioned that he is one of the the Fed officials who had uh, a hike for 2022 and two hikes for 2023. Uh, you know he he is considered to be one of the Fed officials who are uh, who are in the race for the next uh, cha- uh, chairperson. So comments like that uh, should be should carry more weight for markets and. Like I said, there's there's more speakers to hear from, but generally the messaging was consistent uh, uh, with the Fed's transitory view of inflation. However, uh, it just feels like the conviction of when this transitory period period will end seems to be uh, seems to be coming a little bit lower. However, uh, for us though, just a general key conclusion is that uh, the the potential for the Fed to, Fed to uh, act faster is increasing, and of course uh, that sort of reinforces our view that the market will have to you know, eventually price in uh, more and more uh, probability of hikes uh, leading to underperformance in like the five-year sector. Sticking with the Fed, but I guess a little bit more on the technical side, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we were now taking questions from listeners. Uh, one of our kind listeners emailed in um, with a question around what the impact of the Fed's RRP increase uh, last at the meeting last week, it, or what we think the impact is on the LIBOR OIS spread. Um, could you just give us some quick thoughts on that for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, just well, uh, to cut to the chase, we do expect the uh, LIBOR OIS to continue uh, to to grind tighter, and there's a couple of uh, really a couple of main reasons for that. Starting with just the general amount of liquidity that keeps increasing in the system, government deficit spending uh, continues. The TGA is, is going to come down from about 800 billion to 450 by the end of uh, July. 800 billion being the target for end of June. So that's 350 billion additional uh, liquidity coming just from government spending. That's one. Uh, two is banks are have been actively trying to push away deposits this year, and they're not really. In, uh, they're not really seeking to add more, particularly they're not seeking to add uh, more 
wholesale type of deposits, which are much more punitive under uh, under the regulatory framework. While a lot of the uh, a lot of the funds that the government spends running down the TJ account is going to come back to the banks in the form of uh, good type of deposits, the retail retail type, which have uh, you know much better, much uh, cost efficient treatment under the under the regulatory framework. So from that perspective, we think banks will be satisfied and will be happy with this shift. And uh, and finally, the the market for unsecured paper in the form of uh, say commercial paper uh, seems to have popped out in our view, and we expect the supply and the the amount outstanding generally to to come down. Generally, banks uh, at this point in time they, they prefer not to go through the unsecured uh, money market uh, uh, route unless they really have to, unless there's some form of like a you know like a short term arbitrage opportunity. Otherwise. Uh, that type of funding tends to be uh, pretty punitive under uh, under the again the regulatory standard. So the combination of this increasing liquidity, the short-term paper uh, short uh, collateral shortage, and uh, regulatory kind of obstacles, so to say, uh, we think will keep drive uh, live royce tighter. And just quickly to to add on that, I think what kind of caught a little uh, people a little bit off guard was the was immediate spike in the RRP facility. Uh, right after the, you know, the day after the Fed made the announcement tweaking the, the administered rates. And uh, like you said, we're recording this on Thursday, so we're going to get the data soon. But uh, uh, I do think that uh, most of the increase in that facility was from uh, the government-sponsored enterprises, the so-called GSEs, who most likely end up shifting money from uh, their other's account, which carries no interest, to the new five-base point facility, which does carry some interest. So they didn't have that incentive, which they have now, and uh, that, that money is already out of the system, so it should have virtually no impact on the overall banking liquidity. And, uh, but we should see that in the, in the data this week. Perfect, thank you. And just a reminder to all our listeners, if they do want to ask, uh, send in any questions for me to ask the bondcasters, then just send an email to bondcast at natwest.com. All right, Giles, over to Europe then, because it's also been a pretty quiet week there, but I guess just like in the US, we've seen um, a fair amount of ECB speak, not as many as we've seen from the Fed, but, you know, a fair few kind of headliners, I would say. Um, Have we learned anything new from from them this week? Well, okay, so the first thing I'd like to say is that if anyone has any really, really hard questions, please do keep it for my colleagues and not for me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, listen, so on the on the ECB speaker side, I mean, I guess that the main thing has just been about um, when when we are going to hear what they have decided in their uh, strategy review. And it seemed like about, well, so I guess last week, wasn't it, um, when Philip Lane, who, um, who's the chief economist, um, was padding his budget, basically saying, well, we might not be ready to deliver the message in September, so you know, don't, you know, don't count on it too much. And so you know, there was a little bit of a, an uncertainty just around the timing because there's uh, you know, a regular meeting at the beginning of the month and then there's the big kind of research conference at Sintra at the end of the month and you know we're trying to figure out well what do they do do they you know do they give us the main sort of policy relevant bits in the first one and then kind of talk about the whys and all that kind of stuff in the in the second one and present the sort of detailed rationale for it now I, I, I suppose we don't know but what he seemed to be saying was nothing you know, <laughs> we might not 
get anything. But then there was a, a Reuters uh, solicit article this week that um, you know put us pretty much back on track for September, I think. So essentially as you were. So a bit of up and down, but but as we were really. So September's light, I guess, then is, is the way that we're thinking about this. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask about the ECB, because since we recorded the podcast last week, we had the first uh, issuance, issuance? No, the first version of the uh, ECB survey of monetary analysts published. So this is something they've been doing since 2019, but we had the first uh, printed version published uh, last Friday, I think, so after we recorded the pod. I think a huge amount of attention, I guess, amongst general market participants that, you know, ECB watchers like ourselves obviously looked at it closely. So were there any kind of interesting conclusions from that, would you say, or was the market right to just ignore it altogether? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I might invite you to answer your own question since you were the one that looked at it most closely. <laughs> I think that for me, the, the, the most surprising thing, and again, um, no, this was your insight, not mine, uh, or perhaps it was Jen's, I can't remember. But anyway, um, it, was, it, it seemed like there was a bit of confusion about really what was going to happen with asset purchases. It seemed like the monetary analysts kind of blithely assume, I can't really believe that anyone who's actually thought about it for you know, half a second would actually really you know, honestly believe this. But they, they, had, they had a trajectory for asset purchases, which um, you know, pretty much collapsed to, um, well, to, to 20 billion per month, which is what we currently have in the sort of regular version of the, the program. Because remember, we have, this, we have the pandemic emergency program, which is huge. And then we have the kind of regular program, which is just kind of, you know, going on you know, in, in, in the background. And you know, the assumption is, at least on our side, and I think probably you know, the consensus assumption as well, is that when the pand pandemic emergency one steps down, probably at the end of the first quarter next year, then they will increase the regular one, which you know, just has certain additional constraints um, by a certain, you know, in, in order to, you know, to ensure that the, the total size of you know, monthly purchases just tapers you know, in a more controlled fashion. Now, there are some questions which I, I, I dare say it's probably a little bit, you know, this podcast a little bit long in the tooth now to, to get into, but um, you know, there are a few questions about the the degree to which the you know, this regular program might actually be constrained by uh, by the rules that were originally set for it. So, you know, okay, yeah, I think I think they can get around it. I mean, you know, they've sort of changed the rules a few times. I don't really see why this time would necessarily be, be different. So, whatever that was, that was the main one for me. Um, what what have I forgotten, Imogen? <laughs> what should I be highlighting? It doesn't work if I have to answer my own questions on the podcast. That's a good uh, one. You know, I, I'm sure everyone wants to hear what you think. <laughs> no, to be honest, I think that was the, the the most striking thing to me was, as you say, the fact that the kind of median forecast didn't have the APP picking up at all um, when PEP is due to end in March 2022, which, as you say, I find hard to believe from anybody that's looked at this closely that they expect monthly purchases to literally drop from 100 billion to 20 billion um, come March next year. Um, so that definitely seemed off to me and I'd be interested to see how that evolves. I think this is a quarterly forecast that we'll be getting. So it'll be interesting to 
see what that looks like. Uh, I, I certainly look forward to having a much, much more significant weight in the panel um, in the next one, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. and, and, maybe, and maybe it'll be a lot more accurate. <laughs> let's see, let's see. Okay, the last thing I just wanted to ask on the Euro area uh, before we wrap this up is around the French elections because we obviously had the first round um, on Sunday last weekend. Um, we haven't had the second round as we're recording this. Markets seemed pretty much unfazed, I guess. Um, well, OATs across the curve were probably around too tighter, maybe on Monday morning. Um, but really, by the end of the day, did not seem bothered at all by it. Um, is that the right interpretation, even though the, the results really weren't as expected? Or is there much read across for the national elections next year, or is it really just too early to tell? I don't think there's much read across, to be honest with you. The, I, you know, I suppose from a market perspective, you no, know, the disaster not happening is kind of good news. Um, you know, I think just the week before, and you know, there were quite a few questions about it. You know, people, I think, you know, just a little bit late, being a little bit worried about the possibility of a particularly strong showing from from the, the Rassemblement National. And you know, we, we know, of course, that didn't happen, but it was, you know, the context was a very, very low turnout, which makes it, you know, which, which obviously, you know, tends to be skewed towards the kinds of people, um, you know, that are basically their demographic. And so, you know, there's always a risk that they will actually turn up in the second round. We'll have to see. Um, but when it comes when it comes down to it, it's still quite a long way out. And I don't think that, I mean, you know, if, if, you know, maybe possibly there's, uh, the, you know, there's a case to be made that um, you know, the, the, the traditional sort of centre-right um, actually may not be as easy to write off for the other uh, national elections as perhaps the consensus thought. But no, I don't think so. You know, I think, you know, just to conclude on that, I think, you know, we are really heading into a summer. And I mean, this is where we've spent most of our time thinking this week, where at least for the first part of it, we're probably looking at uh, you know, people very tentatively just going back into the kinds of carry trades that they think are safe enough to, to wear for you know, four or five weeks, France included. Yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. All right then everyone, we'll wrap it up there for this week. Um, and just a reminder to all our listeners that if you like today's episode, please hit the like button to show your pre appreciation and click subscribe so you can listen to our episodes as soon as they become available. And final reminder for today that if you do have any questions, uh, please send them in to bondcast at natwest.com. Thanks everyone, chat next week. <laughs> <laughs>